of today by Barnabas Grayson entitled Knowledge. Good afternoon, everyone. It seems like my voice is just a little bit different this week. <clears throat> you should have heard it last week. But I wasn't here. Had a chance to stand outside for a little bit, and it really does feel good. You guys want to go out? <laughs> I didn't want to come back in. It felt so good. Let me put it that way. <clears throat> Steve filled in for me last week, told him that I had every little allergy ailment, I guess, that there was, and I had this frog in my throat, and I'm glad Steve was able to cover for me, and it uh, <clears throat> took me a long time to get the frog out, but uh, I was, was driving along, uh, Carolyn and I, and I, and I said, you know what, you want to hear my impression of Johnny Cash? <laughs> I won't give it. I won't put you through it. But <laughs> it did sound like him, she said. It went away pretty quick. This is bent down, so I'm going to kind of burn a hole in the paper here. There we go. Not reflecting on these at art or anything. I'll turn it that way then. <laughs> well, it's good to see you all again. It's good to be up and around and... <clears throat> have a little bit of a frog there, but on the handout that I gave you, you, know, you see the title, it's about knowledge, and from Proverbs uh, chapter 19 and verse 2, it says that, that it is not good for a soul to be without knowledge, but knowledge is something that we must be careful uh, of, of what we hear or what we take in. And because we know the old uh, adage, uh, the saying that, you know, garbage in, garbage out. So you have to be careful about what kind of knowledge is being put into our hearts and into our minds. Now, there are, are all kinds or different kinds of knowledge. There's natural knowledge. For instance, in Jesus' parable of the fig tree, he said, when its branch is yet tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is not. You know, that's just natural knowledge. Some, some things you gain as you live throughout life, things you experience. And there's deceptive knowledge, as was mentioned earlier in Ken's uh, uh, split sermon. When Satan told Eve, you shall not surely die. You won't die. And then there's personal knowledge that came to Adam and Eve when they looked down and realized that they were both naked. There's also intellectual knowledge. That's when the Jews marveled at Jesus at what he knew, for they knew he didn't have any religious schooling. Then there is saving knowledge, and there is spiritual knowledge, which is the aim of this uh, message this afternoon. Saving knowledge and spiritual knowledge. In John chapter 17, <clears throat> and in verse 1, that's, you might want to write that down because I didn't write it down, but... In John chapter 17 and verse 1, these words spoke Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. 
as you have given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. So God has given into Jesus' power souls of many, including those of us who are here. And in verse 3, and this is life eternal, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So the aim is to know God, and to know, know him as a father, and to know Jesus uh, Christ, whom he sent, because both are important to e eternal life. Then in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and in verse 14, it says, But the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually Discern. The natural man, that's the one who believes in only what he sees. He believes in the science of things, but he doesn't see the spiritual things that are beneath, the things that are in creation, the things that make him happy, the things that, uh, where he can see the purpose for which things were created. That's the natural man. But he that is spiritual, and that would be uh, people like you, you and me, but he that is spiritual judges all things. You know, he sees the underlying purpose, the underlying aim, the hand uh, of, of God. Yet he himself is judged of no man. <clears throat> For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So we have been receptive to his word, to uh, uh, his knowledge, and to his purposes. There is a, uh, you know, knowledge is just, uh, it just is like, is, is science. And there's a word, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, scientia potentia. Those of you that know Latin could probably do that better than I did. But it's been said that knowledge is power. That's what that phrase means in Latin. Knowledge is power. Francis Bacon is believed, and I'm going to give you a little bit of knowledge of that too, because as I was reading about it, uh, that's why I brought it up. Francis Bacon is believed to be the first person to put down in writing that knowledge is power. So the phrase is really pulled from his statement that says knowledge itself is power. And the phrase is a maxim, uh, a general truth that dates back to the time he said it in 1597. Thomas Jefferson also used the phrase and he equated knowledge with power, safety, and happiness. So how much knowledge do we have? What do we know that gives us this, this power? Is it about our political church or some other uh, 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 thing that we have in our hearts and in our minds? But concerning what we know, someone might ask, well, what do you know? And uh, sometimes we reply, well, I know enough to get by. And that's about all. But... We know we can read, we know we can write, we know we can uh, you know, make, uh, made a, make a sentence, we can add and, and subtract, drive a car, stuff like that, cook. We know not to fool around with electricity or play with fire or guns. We know not to drink and drive, get drunk or, or drugged out, things like that, or break the law, run the red light and so on. Because, you know, it's like the old song Jim Crosby said, you don't want to spit in the wind. 
or tug on Superman's cape. So you, there's things that you, uh, you need to know because knowledge has saving power. And it comes from parents, it comes from teachers, it comes from friends. And what we know today is that it comes from the word of God there in this book itself. So usually we acknowledge that we don't know everything. And uh, that would be right to say, lest we appear as a know-it-all. No one really likes a know-it-all. But where do we get our knowledge? Is it from a good source? Will Rogers once said, all I know is what I read in the newspapers. But he spoke a lot about the politics of his day. He talked about the people of his time. And he made his observations with a wit and a humor that... Uh, made sense and it brought knowing laughter to most everyone who listened to his his talks but today we know we have the internet we have television we have magazines we have books we have essays from that people write newsletters and seminars and so on and on and on it goes knowledge can be gained from all those things it's there for the taking but we have to be careful of what we hear and what we take in but knowledge we is is beneficial to life it's crucial to life but it's only helpful if we apply that knowledge in the right way in the book of Hosea chapter 1 uh, I'd like to begin there that we see Hosea has a call to prophecy and Hosea spoke during the reign of King Jeroboam the second of Israel in a ministry that covered around uh, 40 years which is, you know, kind of a long time to get across a message. But in chapter 1, we see where his prophecy began. Verse 1, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Johash, king of Israel. Verse 2, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him the eternal said to him go take yourself an adulterous wife and and children of unfaithfulness now as the king james expresses that uh, verse the lord said to hosea go take unto you a wife of whoredoms but why what was the purpose that god said for hosea to marry such a woman and it was because that the land because the land, that is the people, has committed great whoredom in departing from the Lord. And for Hosea to feel the passion of what the message that God was giving him to give, Hosea had to experience it. He had to have, uh, gain some knowledge about where all that message was, was going to go. He had to feel the passion of God's message. And so when he, uh, in verse 3, so Hosea took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, said to be a symbolic name, meaning two cakes, and they had a son, and the Lord said to call him Jezreel, which means the Lord will sow or the Lord uh, sows. For yet a little while, I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. Verse 5, at that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And Gomer conceived again and bare a daughter. And so we see how all of this was coming to pass so that uh, Hosea was going to get the, the feel of the message, the knowledge that was being presented to him. And 
Gomer conceived a daughter, and God said to Hosea, Name her Loruhamah, for I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. Now, Loruhamah uh, then is a name that, is, uh, that essentially means no more mercy. No more mercy, no more forgiveness, no more love. And that the uh, Lord will show no more of that to Israel because they have departed. But in verse 7, but I will have mercy upon the house of Judah and will save them by the Lord their God and will not save them by bow nor by sword, but nor by battle, by horses, nor by uh, horsemen. But by the way, God is going to handle that through his power. So Gomer gave birth to a son. God said, name him Loami, which means you are not my people and I will not be your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, in spite of all that, which cannot be measured nor number. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it is said unto them, you are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, you are the sons. You are the sons of the living God. So in chapter 1, God gave Hosea the name, names he was to give the children that were born to him and his wife Gomer. Jezreel meant God will sow. Which tells us that God will judge the people. That he will sow whatever is to be, is to be sown. <clears throat> and that whatever befalls Israel will be what God sows upon them. Then we see the name Loruhamah. Means that we, he will have no more mercy. And show no more love toward them. And Loami saying that uh, God's people are no longer his people. And the reason being is that. Uh, that uh, they, uh, they became like the idolatrous nations that were around him. They are no longer people to him because they were just like the pagan nations that were around them. They were disobedient and forgetting God so he will forget them. So when you read about prophecy like that of Hosea, we're reading about things that have a dual meaning. It was for that time. And in the same way as we'll see later, it has also meaning to our time. So as we read on, we, we see that Israel shall be still as the sand of the sea. And it shall be said of them, you are the sons of the living God. Now the name Hosea means salvation. Though he prophesies some troublesome words. You know, it's often the bad before, before the good. But it is for the purpose of salvation to those that will hear his message, to heed it and understand it as some of them did in that day as today even, that we should be able to understand it. So knowledge of the things that are to be, sometimes often before the bad and then the good. So Hosea's prophecy was given a long time ago and applied to a time that was. And like the prophecies of old against uh, the people of God, the reasons for them can be applied still to times today. That's why they're written down, so that we may consider them as though we were people who lived during those days of Hosea and other prophets like Jeremiah, Isaiah, and Daniel so that we can give heed. In Hosea chapter 4, we see where in verse 1 that Hosea cries out, Hear the word of the Eternal, you children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy, that is a contention or a disagreement with the inhabitants of the land because one, there is no truth, there is nor mercy, 
nor knowledge of God in the land. So he has a controversy by swearing, and this is uh, verse 3, by swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out and blood touches blood. So here we see mentioned some of the commandments that were being broken uh, by those in Israel at that time. All these sins have broken, uh, broken out, spilled over here and there throughout the line, uh, land just, just as today. Blood touching blood. That is one bloody uh, event after another. It's as though it was unbridled in, in crimes that just can't seem to be reined in or stopped. Verse 3. Therefore shall the land mourn. The word is droop. The land will droop. And that's what people do, you know, when things go bad, when they hear bad things, uh, you know, you just, uh, there's a tendency to just hang the head down when bad things happen. Everyone that dwells therein shall languish with the beasts of the field and with the fowls of heaven. Yea, the fishes of the sea also shall be taken away. So there are repercussions, there are consequences for disobedience. And for uh, departing from the Lord. So sin does have a widespread effect. Everything can suffer. Both the innocent and the guilty. Verse 4. Yet let no man strive nor reprove another. For your people are as they that strive with the priest. The Amplified Bible puts it this way. Don't waste your time in mutual recriminations that is bringing up accusations and reproofs and strifes and wranglings you hear a whole lot of that going on today it just goes seems to go on and on and on therefore you shall fall in the day and the prophet also shall fall with you in the night and I will destroy your mother that is cut off your mother because you know mother is seen as a bond of family uh, of a family and it's used like the word father in in a parental uh, sense a source you know the source of our upbringing you know sometimes you might hear uh, children might say well my mother told me not to ever do that or my father told me not to ever do that but those things will be cut off it'll be forgotten children will depart from uh, their mothers and their fathers and the teachings and the upbring upbringings that they have and then he says in verse 6 do not only from to Departing from God, but also from departing from family values. My people, in verse 6, are destroyed for lack of knowledge. They don't know better. Why? Because you have rejected knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you, that you shall be no priest to me, seeing you have forgotten the law of your God. I will also forget your children. You know, the nation was, uh, was uh, like a royal priesthood. What made them priests was that they, uh, they were pure. They knew uh, the right thing to do. So this is why God has a controversy with his people. Because Israel, the people of God, who knew God and had knowledge of his will, left knowledge of the truth. They went into idolatry. They forgot the law of God. And they became disobedient and the land mourned. For lack of knowledge of God, it says, my people are destroyed. They are headed for ruin. In Jeremiah 4.22. It says for my people is foolish. They are sottish children. And they have none understanding. They are wise to do evil. But to do good they have no, no knowledge. 
So their minds and their hearts are on other things that amount to taking in the wrong ways of life. And it appears to them as, you know, nothing wrong with it. <clears throat> it's really not hard to see that there are things going on in our time today that God does not agree with. The lying, the adultery, the killing, the swearing, the blood touching blood. There are so many ways in which people today are exposed to that kind of immoral behavior. And they think it's just, well, it's just natural. It's just normal. It's common. So uh, they do the same things. So there's violent behavior. There's godlessness. There's transgressions, which has an influence that can just make one forget God or you know, uh, set him aside. And uh, as well as all of his commandments. Just one scripture there in Daniel chapter 12, verse 4. In the book of Daniel, it says, But you, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. This word knowledge used here is the same as that used in those previous verses that we read over in Hosea. And it means cunning, it means skill, it means craftiness, it means ingenuity, things like that. And as we know, People today are in the know just about, uh, of just about everything, or almost everything. And many are quite knowledgeable in, in different kinds of areas. So a pers person can go online, he can go find out about almost anything. But we <clears throat> also know that there are pitfalls in having knowledge. For it can lead to abuse, it can lead to vanity, it can lead to personal sins, and it can lead to offenses toward others so one can have knowledge about the world he lives in or she lives in in the various sciences and in religions of all sorts but the apostle Paul had a few things to say about knowledge and how a Christian should handle what he or she knows in 1st Corinthians chapter 8 it's about things that are offered to idols verse 1 now as touching things offered unto idols we know that we all have knowledge. We all know that we have knowledge concerning these things offered unto idols. Then Paul adds this, that knowledge puffs up, but charity edifies. Knowledge, you know, from experience we know what knowledge, when you have a lot of it, it can puff you up. To illustrate that, I was going to bring you a balloon and blow it up as far as I could here, but fortunately for all of us, I guess, it's good that I forgot it. But you know, when you expand that balloon, the more it gets puffed up, there's the danger of it popping and all that stuff. So the act of knowing and having knowledge does puff up. The word means it inflates. When it says puffs up, it inflates to where it swells or enlarges. And what could possibly happen if that occurs? Verse 2, and if any man think that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. Of course, we don't know everything. Our knowledge is really a long way from 100% or even 50%. But there are things to know that we don't. Because we don't, we just don't know at all. You know, about, uh, about the world, about science, about history, uh, aviation, space, uh, universe, and so on. But we can go to the History Channel, Discovery Channel, and Learning Channel, and wherever and might find out about a few things like you know the program Nova 
So what was the knowledge the Apostle Paul was referring to? It was about food, sacrifice to idols. And he was talking to those who had a little more spiritual maturity. And how they should handle it before others. So what, it, what was it they knew about things offered to idols then? Verse 4. Concerning therefore the eating. As concerning therefore the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols. We know that an idol is nothing in the world. So that's the, one, that's the first knowledge. We know that an idol is nothing in the world. Because you know there are things that are carved from, made from metal. Carved from wood. Shaped by clay. Stones etc. And there is none other God. None other theos or supreme deity. But one. For though there be that are called gods. Whether in heaven or in earth. As there be gods many and lords many. To us there is but one God of whom are all things and we in him and and one Lord Jesus Christ by whom are all things and we by him. So we see here that between the father and the son there is a little distinction by whom are all things we we read. Remember Jesus said I and my father are one and to us there is but one God the Elohim the God family. But how be it. There is not in every man that knowledge. For some with conscience of the idol. And to this hour. Eat it as a thing offered unto an idol. And their conscience being weak. Is defiled. So you kind of have to put yourself. In the context of that time and that age. When you know idols were really a, a, a thing. To believe in. To worship. To make sacrifices toward. And there were new converts. Who had given up. This idol worship. And it's ceremonies, but they still thought of these idols as something that, that's to be regarded in their life. Especially those things that were given in worship of it. Because it reminded me, reminded them of those times. Of that time of worship. And to eat meat that was offered to idols was like partaking once again in something they had given up. Partaking once again in idol worship. And so it went against their conscience. So, you know... There are new converts, people who come to church and who have found a, a, a newfound zeal toward God. You remember the first time that we came into the truth, as we used to call it, came into the church or came into the truth, that there was this love and excitement when God's word began to make sense and it began uh, to bring us truth and the per- uh, things about the purpose of life, this knowledge, this newfound knowledge. So... Over in Revelation, however, we see how the lukewarm church was directed to get back to their first love, which had become lost, and were told to repent, or their light would be put out, and their candlestick removed. But back here in verse 7, there were knowledgeable Christians who knew there was nothing tainted in the meat, and whatever ceremony went with it, for the idol was just a work of stone or wood, and that's all. But their partaking of that meat offered unto idols gave confusion. And it gave offense to those who thought it should not be. It looked to them, those in the know, that they were saying, uh, it's okay, just dig in. I know it was offered to an idol, but I'm I'm going to go ahead and eat it. But to those observers who had left that type uh, of things offered in worship, were confused by them eating it and it offended many of them but Paul said in verse 8 but meat commends us not to God for neither if we eat are we the better better 
Neither if we eat not are we the worse. So when you read the scripture and you think, well, this is approval to eat those things that are declared unclean by God. But that is not saying that. Because in the context, it is in the context of this meat being offered to idols. So food does not bring us any closer to God. We're no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. But Paul cautioned in verse 9. Take heed, be careful, lest by any means this freedom or this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. To those that have a little bit more mature knowledge about spiritual and religious matters more than someone else who may not understand. If I were seen uh, going to the store buying Halloween cupcakes, you might misinterpret, well, he's keeping Halloween. Or if I'm eating Christmas cookies with all those decorations on it. Or the heart-shaped candy, which you know, I have in my pocket today. The heart-shaped candy here. It's a little cinnamon. And um, Valentine's, you know. But, you know, liberty is about freedom to decide and choose. But if I felt like eating a, a Halloween-decorated cupcake and... I was around those that, for their own purpose, their own conscience sake. And they saw me eating that. I would be conscious of not offending them or for them to get the wrong impression. Because we are to have, uh, we are to grow in grace and knowledge so that we can have wisdom and understanding. <clears throat> which, you know, does not come all at once. And there are some who are, you know, blinded to the truth. Some who are gradually coming along. For if any man see you which have knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? So, you know, the Apostle Paul was saying, be cognizant of those who are around you. And through your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. And when you sin, so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world stands, lest I make my brother to offend. He will not eat meat if it's going to make his brother offend. You know, that's love. That's being, being aware of uh, who's around you. So Paul says to be sure that our freedom and under, uh, understanding of what we know does not offend. Romans chapter 14. In this chapter, we see that there was what some have you know, termed a diet problem going on between the Jews and the Gentiles. And Paul says this, just like we read earlier, him that is weak in the faith, receive you, receive him, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believes that he may eat all things, another who is weak eats herbs. Let not him that eats despise him that eats not, and let not him which eats not Judge him that eats. For God has received him. So <clears throat> people have differences and preferences in food, in drink, in clothes, in music, in politics, in beliefs, all kinds of things. Some prefer brown sugar over white sugar. Whole bread over enriched bread. Vegetables rather than meat. Whole meat, uh, whole milk over skim. So on and so forth. So Sometimes people wear their beliefs on the outside in the way they dress or the way that they adorn themselves. 
with something you know that just that just stands out and it sometimes may cause us to wonder and in that in the in the way we think but usually when you know there's some who are maybe really outlandish in the way they dress that we shouldn't judge them but on the other hand they look around at us and say well they're not dressed like us and so you know they don't stay very long because they don't feel comfortable but verse 4 who are you that judge another man's servant to his own master he stands or falls yea he shall be held up for God is able to make him stand but is Paul saying anything goes as far as food is concerned that there, because there are some Christians who think so Second Peter chapter 3 verse uh, beginning verse 15 here's what Peter wrote in regard to the Apostle Paul and his statements he said an account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation even as our beloved brother Paul also according to the wisdom given him unto him has written unto you verse 16 as also in all his apostles speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to be understood which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do also other scriptures unto their own ruin or destruction. You therefore beloved seeing you know these things. Beware lest you also being led away with the air of the wicked. Fall from your own steadfastness. So sometimes the, the looks or the speaking of, uh, of others can be so, uh, so compelling. That it can lead you away from your own steadfastness so one has to be careful in the knowledge that they hear and take to heart let's go back to Romans chapter 14 here again things that are uh, hard to understand some rest to their own uh, uh, ruin verse 5 one man esteems one day above another another esteems every day alike let every man be fully persuaded. Let every man be convinced in his own mind. So some will look at this and they will say, this means any day can be the Sabbath and holy to God. Heard a little bit about that earlier. He that regards the day regards it unto the Lord, and he that regards not the day to the Lord, he does not regard it. I knew a, a, a young man some years ago and um, we were talking about the Sabbath and he said uh, he said if that God wants every day to be holy so in his mind he was reasoning that not only is Saturday uh, the holy day the Sabbath day but any day of the week you want to make it as long as it is holy unto God and so in doing so <laughs> If that were true, then you couldn't work on any of those days because it says, for in six days shall you labor and do all your work. But that one day, the Sabbath, is the Sabbath of the Lord, holy unto God, because he rested on that day. But in <clears throat> rest of verse 6, And he that eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he that eats not to the Lord, he eats not and gives God thanks. He that eats, eats to the Lord. That is, they eat what they know God has blessed. And 
he that eateth not to the Lord, he's not going to eat what God has not blessed. And he gives thanks, for God has given him distinctions between what is clean and what is unclean. None of us live unto himself, verse 7, and no man dies to himself. For whether we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether, uh, whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. So we're not alone. Others see us. They know of us. They take note of us. They know when we, as we live, and they note it when we die. Others are just, they're just aware of us in life. But we devote, devote our life to the Lord, and we commend our soul to him when we die. So whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Verse 9, for to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both uh, of the dead and of the living. Verse 10, so why do you, but why do you judge your brother? Or why do you set it not your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. So if we do these things in defiance of God's commandments, if we uh, depart from uh, our God and from his truth and from his word, we will have to give an accounting and even if it offends others. You remember in uh, Matthew 18 where Jesus called unto him a little child. And he said unless you be converted. You shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall humble himself as that little child. The same will be great, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso you know, shall offend one such as these. It would be better if they had a millstone hung around their neck. And they were cast into the sea. So, verse 13. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. There are all kinds of stumbling blocks that one can put in a brother's way. A person, you know, might come in, they might be uh, wearing fringes, you know, the four corners of their, of their garment. Or, or the, the, the little hat, the cap on top of their head. You know, we don't judge that. Uh, so, we're to be careful that our personal differences, right or wrong, do not cause others to fall. Whether it be in food or in drink, personal likes, dislikes, philosophies, beliefs, and so on. Paul said in verse 14, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him that esteems uh, anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Paul had enough knowledge to know and distinguish what things are clean because he knew the word of God. He was persuaded by the Lord that there is nothing unclean in itself. But he that esteems anything to be unclean, even if it were clean, it's going to be unclean. <clears throat> The point is, verse 15, if your brother be grieved with your meat, now walk ye not charitably. Destroy not him with your meat for whom Christ died. Now if your brother is distressed because of what you're eating in, in front of him, you are no longer acting in love. He believes it was offered to an idol. 
Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. So Paul is talking to those, those people back in that day and time. I don't know of any place around here where, you know, people uh, sacrifice things to the idol and put it out for, you know, people who want it to, uh, to consume it. But it was like that, pretty common in those days. Verse 16, let not your good be evil spoken of. You know, uh, in the early days of, uh, of going to the church worldwide, you know, you, you went to a restaurant and you had to ask, well, or you cook the uh, mixed lard and all in, in Greece here? Uh, is this come in contact with, you know, shellfish and other stuff like that? Do you have any brown sugar? You know, they go back to their kitchen where all this hustle and bustle is going on. And sometimes you think, well, you know, are they really paying attention to what you really want? Instead, they are, will probably speak a little ill or evil uh, of the way a person acts. And I was like that. We, uh, some of us were like that. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but in righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. So what is the source of knowledge that we have? Where does one get spiritual understanding and how to use it? We know that God gives us knowledge but some he has blinded uh, for now. Some have a religious seal. But it says not according to knowledge. But scripture says we are to grow in grace. And in knowledge. So it's a growth process. Some have come a long way. Some have a long way to go. And some of us need to know when to have patience. But if you want knowledge. You, have, you just have to take up the study. In order to uh, get it. to And then apply it. Because. What it amounts to is what we really want to know and then go after it. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1. My son, if you will receive my words and hide my commandments with you, so that you incline your ear into wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yeah, if you cry after knowledge and lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as hid treasures, then shall you understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. You can read the rest of that from verses 5 on down to 11. Where it says discretion shall preserve you. Understanding shall keep you. So we, <clears throat> we live in a world of much confusion. Truth gets lost in the shuffle of words. Recriminations and strivings and so on. And we need the knowledge of God to help give us ha have discretion. So that we have understanding. But we have to desire it. We have to apply it to do then what is good. Ecclesiastes verse 1, 12 through 18 tells us that in knowledge there is much uh, grief. And I won't read all of this, but I want to drop down to uh, verse 14. Where the king said, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Well, let me go back up to verse 13. Uh, I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. This sore travail has God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. So what a heavy burden God gave to man. As in Hosea, we, uh, he saw what was coming. He knew the, the context of his message was 
fearsome. So in the same way, we see what is ahead. We know what's ahead for this coming nation, for this world, for the coming generation, for our children, and for our grandchildren. And so sometimes you, when you think about this, it can give you much grief. Let's go down to Isaiah. Uh, about knowledge, it, it can be seductive. What we know <clears throat> are things we have gained through study or experience. Knowledge is about facts. It's about things in our mind. But knowledge requires wisdom. The ability to discern and judge which areas, uh, aspects of knowledge are true. Which ones are lasting and which ones are applicable to our life. And with this you have to have intuition. You can read verses 1 on down. For the sake of time, I'm going to leave that off and go to where it says that knowledge can be a dangerous thing. We can have the gift of prophecy, understand all mysteries, all knowledge. Though I have all faith, so I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Then it describes, you know, what love is in verses 4 through 8. Then verse 9, we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. We don't know it all now, but we just know in part. But fullness and understanding and knowledge will come. <clears throat> so we have, we need to have a love for God and not forget his truth. What Paul said, what things were gained to me, and all that knowledge he had from his pharisaical schooling, those I counted lost for Christ. Just a few words about handling knowledge. He that has knowledge spares his words in verse Proverbs 17 27 and a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit uh, even a fool when he holds his peace is counted wise and he that shuts his lip is esteemed a man of understanding Luke 10 tells us that things that we don't know there are things that are going to be revealed in due time but you know it's not going to be all at once and there are things about the universe we don't know things about creation uh, like or what happened to the dinosaurs and so on there you know there are just a lot of limitations uh, and a lot of but a lot of studies going on in, in those areas something in here that uh, I wanted to about knowledge let's say that you're getting ready to go on a hike across the desert knowledge means that you know the desert is hot and dry and you know how many miles it's going to take for you to cross that desert that's knowledge wisdom is knowing that you're going to need some water to have along the way so knowledge and wisdom are, are things that help each other out. And there's another one that I read where uh, there's intuition. And intuition means that uh, every so many miles, you might want to have a lemonade stand.
in Second Peter 3 and in verse 10, it says that, Wherefore, the rather brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do those things, ye shall never fall. So we know that the Father has given the Son power over all flesh and to give eternal life to as many as uh, God has called. And in conclusion there, Second uh, Peter chapter 3, uh, verse 17, You therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things, beware lest you also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. And as mentioned earlier, uh, that the soul... To be without knowledge is not good. Verse 18. But grow in grace. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory. Both now and forever. So be it.